You are listening to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast, episode 95, Bishops, Not Therapists, But a Great Resource. Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sanchez. I have five kids, and I love sports and the piano, and I'm also a certified life coach and divorce coach. Here I talk about living your best life, whether you're divorced, married, or single, it doesn't matter. Achievement is nothing without fulfillment. So let's go. Hey, everybody. How are you doing out there today? I hope so well. Well, I'm very excited about this topic today, and I just wanted to introduce my guest. His name is President Tim Overton. He is the stake president over the Phoenix, Arizona West Maricopa Stake. I just wanted to shed some light on the role of bishops and and maybe how they are trained in situations of divorce or a couple who is struggling. And by interviewing President Overton, who also used to be a bishop, I discovered a lot of things I did not know. First off, this handbook that we all have that's accessible to us is pretty awesome and it made me want to go and read it. Second of all, all the resources that the church has to help. The church has come a long way, I think, especially in the past 20, 30 years, in terms of mental health, recognizing that, and all the different roles. But I also wanted to show that bishops are not therapists, unless they are one, you know, unless that's their day job. And so enjoy this interview that we have. I sure did. I learned a lot. And especially what I was left with was hope and that there is help, that there is a resource for you. So enjoy. Without further ado, though, (laughs) I also want to add a disclaimer that the views and opinions expressed in this video or podcast are not the views and ideas and opinions solely, you know, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that this is just two individuals who happen to be members of the church who are discussing their experiences. So enjoy it. And if you have any questions, reach out to me, as you know, you always can do. Okay, guys, enjoy the interview and have a great day. Welcome, President Overton. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life to be with me today on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to join you. Awesome. So I just want to tell the listeners why I felt inspired, first of all, to do this. I am a member of a few groups on Facebook. And through experience, too, I had an amazing bishop when I was going through my divorce. Absolutely amazing. But I know people, um, others have not. And I kind of want to shed light on especially the sisters who kind of go through maybe an abusive situation, a traumatic situation. And it can go on both sides too, brothers and sisters, who may have not felt as supported by bishops, But I have seen in my own personal experience friends from the past where 
it was a little bit more rocky. And so I feel like the church is doing so much better at maybe training the bishops or maybe, I don't know if we're more aware of mental health and issues and divorce um, rather than, you know, in the past. And so there's all those different subjects that I wanted to to talk to you about President Overton, like I said, he was a bishop and now he's a stake president and a friend of ours and our family. So I trusted him with these questions today. So that's the purpose. And <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I, I just thought of something. I remember when you told me your conversion story. Has it been 20 or so years? Yeah, you are right on. It will be in April will be 20 years since I was baptized into the church. Okay. And interestingly enough, I think I told this a little bit of your story in one of my podcasts, because it always stuck with me that you decided to get baptized because without totally knowing, you felt like you had to take that leap of faith first before knowing. It's interesting to me because I think a lot of people think they have to know everything and have that huge struck by the spirit feeling where they are sure before they enter the waters of baptism. And you told me, no, you felt like you had to. And I know that's putting on you on the spot, but tell, tell us a little, just a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it all was kind of, it was all very challenging at first. I come from Southern California, a little bit of my background. Um, I'm biracial. My dad's black. My mom's white. Uh, one of four boys. I'm the third of four boys. And my parents divorced when I was four years old. I grew up with my dad. Me and one of my brothers grew up with my dad. And my the oldest and youngest grew up with my mom for the most part. And we were about oh. a half an hour apart in Southern California. So we went back and forth. So uh, my dad was. Uh, we went, grew up going to Baptist church. He became a deacon then a pastor. And so here I am, you know, son of a preacher, right? Baptist. Uh, and and, and uh, <laughs> just close your eyes and, and picture a Black Baptist church and the music and the, um, I, there's just some power and some soul in it, right? It, it, it differs quite a bit from our experience. Um, yes. We often have in our own meetings. And so when I, I go up the, the short story, I go up to Pocatello, Idaho, right? Where Yasser served, right? I go up to Pocatello, Idaho, um, learn about the church, have some difficulties because I'm still fairly active in my prior church, read a lot of anti-LDS material. Um, ultimately, this is a real shortened version, right? Ultimately, I read a, uh, the Book of Mormon. And, you know, while I'm waiting for this blow you away, burning in the bosom, all the things that the missionaries share with you, I didn't get it. In fact, when I prayed about it, I got nothing. I was like blank. And I was really frustrated and I prayed, Heavenly Father, what is going on? I just spent all my time and effort doing this and, you, and I get nothing in response to my prayer. And the spirit, just this sweet, sweet question said, why did you read it? And it was fascinating because I read it because after having read all the anti-LDS material and going through lots of drama and I had to switch schools, had trouble with my football coach and kind of by myself, I was like in a, in a, in a form of depression. Like I was crying almost every night and just really having a tough time. I had bitter and, and hateful feelings towards the church, like very bitter because I read the anti-LDS stuff and I believed it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just a dark world to be in. Anyways, I had super bitter feelings. So I was just not in a good place. So then fast forward, I read the Book of Mormon, I get nothing. And the spirit says, why did you read it? And I said, well, because I had such bitter and hateful feelings and such depressed feelings. And the spirit said, well, 
how do you feel now after having read it? And it just clicked that nothing was peace. That was the first time I had had peace and not had that, those harmful feelings in my mind for a long time. There's nothing greater, no greater witness than you can get than peace. So that was the great witness of the Book of Mormon. Still didn't know whether I should be baptized, and I struggled with that. Um, again, am I going to go tell my dad, here I am, I'm going to get baptized into this church that uh, at least in, in the Baptist community and often in the Black community doesn't have the best reputation. And so I wanted to know, God, I want to know for sure, before I get baptized, I want to know that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I didn't, and I didn't know. Um, but I did get the impression um, if a man will do his will, then he'll know, you know, and faith without works is dead. And so I, so I did. So I jumped on faith. And uh, these last 20 years have been miraculous in my life, time after time of seeing the Lord's hand in my life through good and bad. So thank you for letting me share that. Oh, gosh, that, I just feel like that brought in a, a really good spirit to to start the podcast. And you know, the reason I have shared that in podcasts past is because I tell my listeners all the time, no matter what goal you want to achieve, you're not always going to know or feel like doing it. You have to just kind of step out there and do the action first. And the feelings often come after. Right. And so I, yeah, I, that's always stuck with me, but thank you for sharing that. And there's, there's no beautiful segue into <laughs> the next topic. So I'll just get right into it. I just, I guess I want my listeners to know what trainings do bishops undergo? And as a stake president, could you explain like the process of how they receive training? Does it go come straight from the first presidency? Is there some training guide or is that all on the stake president? Yeah, great question. I know a lot of, uh, People are interested. How does it work? How does it work behind the curtains? Let me say this first. Um, I don't speak on behalf of the church. I yes. don't know how the church works around the world. I don't um, serve in a general uh, capacity, like a general authority. And so I, I can't speak on so many things from the church perspective, other than my own experience that I've had and my own training that I've had and what I've seen. So I can speak from a personal perspective, but here I'm not even speaking as right the stake president, right? I'm just speaking as an individual who serves right. in this capacity. So with that long disclaimer, by the way, I'm an attorney, with that long disclaimer, right? Um, the way that training happens in general, as we do have, we have the prophet and the prophets and apostles and once a year, at least, they get together with all of the um, areas, area authorities, the other general authorities. They provide training. That often happens in April before the April General Conference. They provide training to these leaders. Many of these general authorities serve in area presidencies or other leadership um, broken down by geography. And then you have your area 70s. So um, an area 70 will have specific areas of the church to which he is assigned. And so it may be that they oversee 30 stakes, um, which will be four coordinating councils. So you get together once a quarter with your coordinating council, um, which now that'll get down to my level. I'll go to a coordinating council meeting where I'm there with an area 70, with the temple president, the mission president, and then about eight to 10 stake presidents. And there we will receive training that comes from what those area 70s received from the general authorities. And then from that, we receive that training and we give trainings. 
weekly, monthly ward councils. We, we train bishoprics once in our state. We train bishoprics once a month. We train the bishops, uh, or excuse me, once every other month, the bishops every month, um, the high council twice a month, the state council with the, uh, that includes our sisters once a quarter, or in our state, we do it every other month. And so that's the general, right? This is the general breakdown of how training in general happens. When we talk about um, specific training when it comes to counseling, so there is a, uh, something I love that the church has done is that the general handbook is available. It's available to anybody who wants to look at it. Remember the church or not, it's available. And chapter 31 is a chapter about interviews and counseling. And that will give you a lot of background about um about what we are taught and what we are trained on. We're all responsible to review those. We're invited, reminded, and, and invited several times to review that information. And also in various trainings, we'll get that information um, directly. And so that's generally how it works um, with training. Specifically in my experience, uh, we received training when I was a member of the bishopric, the bishop would provide training to us, especially when it came to interviewing and counseling. Like that's a, that's a those are hot topics for so many reasons. Um, and in the last several years, it's been hot topics where we can now have youth or anyone that could bring someone else into the interview, um, where it may be someone else entirely conducting the interview. And a lot of people don't know that from the handbook that you could have now a young women's president or a Relief Society president that's conducting these youth interviews mm. in order to improve some of the counseling together. All of this is in the handbook, right? You want some secrets, they're in the handbook. They're out there, it's published. Um, and so that's the general training. And then at the stake level, uh, training will happen as inspired by who, whoever's leading and however that council goes. So in our stake, for example, I'm a big proponent of talking about mental health. So every month we have a mental health seminar. Every third Thursday of the month in the evening, we have a mental health seminar and we bring in a professional to come in and provide some level of training. It's, uh, you know, at what point do we hire a professional as, the tra as, as one training? Um, how do we work with our youth uh, with their anxiety and depression? How do we work with individuals who are questioning their sexuality? How do we, whatever. So that training happens once a month in our stake. Um, and also I meet with bishops every month and we talk about whoever they are visiting with. And so mm -hmm. there are just varying levels of, of training that occur uh, within the church. Hopefully that's helpful. Um, yes, I love that. I love that mental health seminar. Oh, that <laughs> this is making me so happy. You know, it seems obvious to me that bishops, um, everywhere I see, and you know, the groups that I'm involved in, and in my own experience, they are they canceled to do everything they can to save the marriage. I mean, obviously, we are, you know, family first, and we, we want that eternal marriage and partnership to work, of course. But sometimes that gets frustrating for maybe if you're in an abusive situation, or, you know, I just have seen a lot of frustration behind that. Um, can you elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I echo what you you said this is uh we believe the plan of salvation is uh, that families are vital to the plan of salvation and that marriage is sacred and that a man and a woman the the, the with them drawing nearer to the lord especially as they've made covenants with the lord they can receive great blessings through marriage in my own life my marriage has been just unbelievable i never saw um 
a husband and wife work together. My parents had divorced and we had never been around family. So, so marriage as an institution has been miraculous in my adult life to see it um, work, work and to see situations where it doesn't work. Um, and so there may be inside all of us, right, this, the, the, the doctrine and the hope and the ideal is for marriage. So there may be a desire to, to, to fight to keep the marriage going. Um, and I think a lot of individuals may do the same thing. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to read to you from the handbook, right? This is probably pretty bad. <laughs> this might, might seem pretty boring. Actually, I, I love this. Listen to this. This is 31.2.5. Anybody can look it up. No priesthood officer is to counsel a person whom to marry, nor should he counsel a person to divorce his or her spouse. Those decisions must originate and remain with the individual. I love it. Mm-hmm. We, we don't counsel somebody to get divorced and we don't counsel them to stay married. We don't, those, they start and they end with the individual. We do counsel people to get their own revelation. If you believe like I do that marriage is a sacred union, and especially within the church, right? Then we all know that we, we seek revelation and know whether to get married, right? We, we all talk about that, hopefully. Um, do we all talk about whether to seek revelation if we're considering divorce? And that's, a, and that's an issue. So we are trained and the handbook teaches, we don't counsel people to get divorced. We also don't counsel them not to get divorced. Uh, we can counsel through the scriptures that talk about forgiveness, that talk about working together, um, and so this is a long answer, right, to say uh, it's, there are probably some individuals, bishops and others, who really fight, fight, fight to keep the marriage alive. And what a great thing it is to fight for. Mm-hmm. Um, the policy, the training that we receive is to not counsel someone to get a divorce or not to get a divorce, but really to connect them with the Lord and, and make the decision there. This is shedding a lot of light to me on how good of a bishop I had. <laughs> I wanted someone to tell me. I I wanted someone to take that burden from me almost and say, Emily, right. it's time for a divorce. Or you need you need to just stick around here longer. And you know, like he right. wouldn't do that for me. <laughs> and I remember being like, I need, just tell me what to do. And he he would flat out say, I can't. But he, his whole family, his wife too, were just huge supports, just supports that whole ward. And I, now, you know, in hindsight, you look back, I think that he had his little elves helping, you know, he had people out there watching, watching over me. And, and so just that little blurb from the handbook, that's inspiring and uh, yeah, validating to me of how good of a bishop I had. You, you really did. He really did a great job. All of us are tempted. I, I served this bishop and I served out. We're so tempted sometimes when I think I see a solution to someone's problem to jump in and say, here's your solution. Uh, let, me, let me share with you a pattern that has just really informed my service uh, in the church and really just my service in general um, as, a, as a Christian. And that is, it's, it's a four-step pattern, right? Here we, here we go with some patterns. First, I need to connect with God. That's my most important connection. Second, I need to connect with the person that I'm working with, whether they're considering a divorce or whatever it is. Um, And those happen to be the first two great commandments, right? Love the Lord thy God and love thy neighbor. So I connect with God. I connect with that person. Then my goal as a church leader is to connect that person with God, right? That's the third step. Often we think the third Mm -hmm. step is now that I connect with them, let me resolve their problem. Let me tell them what to do. No, 
That third step is to connect with God. And the fourth step is actually pretty easy. Get out of the way and watch God do his work. It's God's child and it's God's work. He will do his work. And so if someone comes to me contemplating divorce and we're sharing issues and, and I'm a person who really believes in several interviews and visits so that we can just work things through. There aren't so often there are things that are not emergencies, but our feelings are so strong that we feel like it's an emergency. I have to do something right now. If there's an emergency, if there's danger, if there's abuse, right, get on it right now. And bishops get that counseling. Any abuse, we call the abuse hotline. We call church headquarters, we call the abuse hotline, and we're going to get professionals involved. And I, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more in the, in the difference between professionals when they get involved and when they, um, when they don't. But our goal, this four-step pattern, somebody comes to me, if there's not an emergency, then let's work through it. Because my goal is once I connect you with God, that's between you and God, and you'll get that figured out. I'm, I'm, I, hopefully, we are all far enough along to know that we need to get out of God's way sometimes, right? As a parent, have you ever had that happen as a parent where often uh, I'll be praying, hey, Father, what do I do with this child? And he'll say, well, if you get out of my way and stop getting in the way, then maybe we could make it work. So I think that same thing happens at some Yeah, that's bingo for me right now. <laughs> but yeah, that actually segues into the next question. I was going to ask, you know, we talked a lot about the handbook, but I was going to ask about the abuse hotline. What other resources are there when needed, you know, that the bishops have access to? Yeah, absolutely. So straight from the handbook, you have um, the abuse hotline. And really you have church headquarters where there are so, so many divisions um, <laughs> where you can call and say, I'm a bishop, I'm a stake president. Here's what I'm working with. Who do I talk to? Oh, let me connect you to this. Let me connect you to this. Um, I had no idea. Right, right. And um, locally, you'll have family services. It used to be called LDS family services. Now I think we don't call anything LDS anything anymore. So I'm not sure what it's called other than family services, right? Church family services. Um, and that is a local resource that you can call and, and, and they direct you when it comes to counseling. Those are the professionals that are often brought in. And so bishops, stake presidents, we can call them at any time and say, Here's what I'm working with. Can you give me some counsel? Can you give me some training? Or does this sound like somebody that should be um, recommended to you? Who should they come into? And in, in the LD or the family services, they will tell you, okay, a psychologist, or maybe you know we might want them to visit a psychologist and a psychiatrist, or send them in. We'll bring them in to talk about marriage counseling, family counseling, and so often. Um, we look at these resources and we think, okay, at what point does a bishop do it? At what point does a mental health professional come in? And my own personal philosophy is it's not an either or. Like, let's do them both. Like, a bishop's role is not to be a professional counselor. I hope we, I, and, I, and none of the bishops that I work with are under the impression that they are professional counselors, unless they are actually professional counselors. So what happens? is we have this where we can do it together one is a spiritual counselor a guy guidance and the other one's a professional that has training and so we can do these things at the same time so this is another resource so we have the abuse hotline we have family services but locally also at a stake level um, you have your state council and your ward council where you should compile a list of services and contacts for example if we have um, someone who's homeless move in then certainly we have the church's welfare and assistance program and self-reliance program, but we also should be in contact with everything going on in the city and county to provide other resources and other in the same mental health resources. So church-wide, you have church headquarters, the abuse hotline, family services, but also locally, 
we're invited and encouraged to engage in the local community to find what other resources are available. Wow. Oh, and I love that. It's a holistic approach that you don't, you see it as not either or let's do it all together. Oh, I love that. And are y'all listening? Because there's so much, there's so many resources. And so if you feel a little lost, please go see your bishop, ask what they are. And uh, yeah, they can provide that for you. Oh, I love hearing that. Um, I recently just Speaking of training, I recently received some training of my own from um, an association called APSATS, and I have to like read it to not get it wrong. It's the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, where I learned the ramifications of real trauma that these partners encounter. So the training is all about the partner of the sex addict. And I think that those partners get lost a lot of times because, you know, this, the porn addict or the sex addict gets all the help and they get in the step, the 12 step program, they get the sponsor, the, the light kind of shines on them to, to heal and get better. But the partner gets a little bit neglected. Is there anything in your particular stake that, you know, you've trained on and in, in that those particular issues or any personal experiences yeah, absolutely. So first training wise, again, the church has so many programs and the addiction recovery program is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually done on a stake level and you can either do it in your own stake or another stake. Often in our stake, I will often refer someone to another stake so that they're not in the addiction recovery program with their own peers that they, that they know. That's and smart. Vice versa. That's um, smart. And so that program is there. One of the portions of that program is for spouse and family support. So you have the addiction recovery program for the person who's addicted, but also for the spouse and family. And so you'll go through this entire program so that you too can get attention to overcome some of the challenges that you face. So um, I had an experience where, first, let me say this. Let me, let me first say this. Let me tell you about my definition of repentance. Um, and my definition of repentance is exactly what President Nelson taught um, a year and a half ago in conference, it means to change, to, simply to change. We often see repentance as a scary thing because, oh, man, I have to repent. Like, oh, did you have to repent? Oh, yeah, I had to repent. It was awful, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, oh, no. And we forget, like Elder Lynchy Robbins taught, repentance is not the backup plan because God's plan made a mistake. Repentance is the plan. Mm. Repentance was the plan from the beginning. The other plan where there would be perfection and no need for repentance, that was rejected, right? That was Satan's plan. So repentance is the plan. The the plan is for us to learn and to change and grow. That that is the plan. So with that backup, um, what a miracle it is that we get to repent, that we get to change. And so often we'll look at the repentance process and we'll only look at the person who's, who's really struggled with this sin or this grave transgression or committed this, this, this error that caused a problem. Right. And so we'll work with them to repent. And the other person, we don't realize that they too need repentance, right? They don't need repentance that they were the one who committed this sin, but they need to be changed because they've mm-hmm. also suffered from this sin. Mm-hmm. But we go back to this fear of, oh no, do we have to repent? And also, we're also up against this culture of victim blaming, right? Where we worry about if there's someone's a victim and they feel like they're blamed, how much more challenging is that? And so <laughs> we don't readily go to the, to the spouse or the person who's a victim and say, okay, you need to repent 
meant, right? Because they're like, what? What did I do? And so right. this is the long way intro to, to a story um, that really changed my part of my ministry and how I work with couples. Well, I, I did work with a couple that um, one of the spouses had a, had sexual transgressions, pornography addictions. Um, and, and it was really, uh, this person was really deep into it. It had been several years um, and, and was really tough. And, 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 you know, they contemplated divorce and they contemplated all the different things that they can do. And I worked with this individual for a long time, for more than a year. And when I work with individuals, I generally, so this is a pattern, this is not church-wide, but this is a pattern that's been successful for me, as I will generally work with them immediately on, a, on an immediate situation, meaning like emergency, like I can meet like right now, I can be in your house or we can be in the church right now, like to save lives, whatever it may be. Of course, call 911 first if you're in immediate danger, but I mean to save marriages. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll work with an individual and meet with them every week for the first four to eight weeks. That means every week we're going to meet at the same time. The first time I'm going to do a lot of listening. I'm just going to do a lot of listening to learn what's going on. And then I'll give them an assignment. This will be 30 to 60 minutes, our meeting. I'll give them an assignment where my, my goal is to connect them with God in that assignment. That first one, I've connected with God. I've got my revelation. I connect with them by listening. Then I connect them with God. Um, and I give them assignment. And then over the next four to eight weeks, depending on how much we connect and how much progress we make, I just try to draw them nearer and nearer and nearer to the Lord. And then after that first four to eight weeks, then we go to every other week for another eight weeks or so. And the same thing, assignments. And my goal is I want to connect them so strongly with the Lord that I can get out of the way and they can make their decisions after that. They don't need me. I just need to help. Make sure you're on that path. Make sure you're hitting those posts. Um, and then after those eight weeks, then we'll do every month for a few months. So we've been, now we've been at it for six months or so. Well, I was working with this one individual for more than a year. Miraculous progress. Miraculous. It was a miracle to see what the Lord did in this person's life. Um, and this person eventually within, within about a year and a half was stronger than they had ever been in the church individually, in their employment, everything. They were just glowing. Well, the spouse <laughs> had been hurt, seriously hurt. These things were so damaging. Yeah. And let me tell you, it, it happens with men and women both. But I've got a particular concern with women. We tell them, your looks... And your ability to satisfy a man are two of the most important things that there are. And I think, oh, heaven help us. <laughs> not only are those not true, but when that's what the whole world is telling us, media, especially everything we see, right. then when all of a sudden your husband is looking at someone else or you're no longer able to satisfy them because they've gone off onto this addiction like any other addiction to drug, then you feel like, what's wrong with me? Oh, no, it's right. my fault. And then you're not only the victim of what happened, but you're also the victim of all the things you've been told. And now you feel like you're the problem. And compound that, then you've been feeling like you're the problem. You haven't gotten any attention for it. And now your spouse is beaming. And it's got this great relationship with the bishop because they've been meeting together every week or every month. And now this person is fantastic. They're just riding high. And you're like, huh. Prodigal son. It's, uh, it hurts. Mm -hmm. um, it hurts. It hurts. And so I had this experience. And before I knew it, this spouse that was the victim was having such a tough time that they grew to be very bitter and angry. And um, 
they were now causing the, the, the marital problems. It was no longer the person who, who had this addiction that was tearing a hole in the marriage. It was this other person who had never been healed. And so thankfully, um, we felt inspired to work, to get with this person. Then I started meeting with this person every week on a different repentance process, right? Not that they had committed a sin, but they were hurting. Right. So as I work with that person, then the couple became whole. Now it's miraculous to see them, to see them working as a couple is just beautiful. Um, one of the great dangers was that the one spouse had brought in these addictions and these, these poor decisions. And another great danger was that the other spouse didn't know that they also needed healing. They mm-hmm. also needed healing. And I didn't know that as a church leader. So that's actually some training that I provide locally as to say, and that's actually in, if you look in, in our church um, membership councils, used to be called discipline councils, as we do, we look at the person, we look at the victims or the family or those who are affected. But at the time, I didn't make that connection. But that, that experience now has shown me I need to make that connection every time, right? It takes two to tango. Somebody's hurt. Someone's, they're both hurting. Um, but just because someone didn't commit this sin or transgression or make this mistake doesn't mean there's no role to help them. And if we don't feel equipped to do it, like if we feel like this is a mental health situation and not a spiritual thing, fine, let's refer them to a mental health professional, but let's not forget them or ignore them. Right. I think that's beautiful that you were able to see that and learn from that and now incorporate incorporate that in your training. So I have a question. Um, what would you say to somebody maybe 20, 30 years ago who wasn't offered the support they needed through a divorce or maybe there were hurtful words said from a bishop and they had left the church? What would you say to them now? I would say, I'm sorry. Right. I would say, I'm sorry. Like I, I, I feel bad for them. And, and um, I often look at this. I know a lot of people when we look about the history of race in the church and a lot of people, minorities, especially African-American who have left the church because of things that were said that were insensitive or just wrong or just mean spirited. And I just say, I'm sorry. Like I, um, I love the teachings of Paul. I hope that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Like I hope that nothing will separate us, but I'll tell you what, if I'm trying my best and I'm hurting and I feel like a church leader says something that's hurtful to me or attacking to me, I'm just going to, it's going to be hard. I've had it in a professional context where I'll work with a, with a boss or a leader and I'll share something that's sensitive and that's sharing my feelings with them. And they'll just say, oh, well, you see it wrong or you're wrong or they'll get defensive. And I'm just like, I'm never going to tell that person anything again. Like I'll deal with them if I have to deal with them, but I'm never going to pour my heart out again because they just tear it out and they don't care. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing can feel like that. It can feel like that in a church context. And so the first thing I would say is, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry when there's any pain that's suffered. Another thing I would say is, we're human beings. Bishops are human beings. Other church leaders are human beings. Um, let's have some grace and compassion for them. If you feel like your bishop doesn't hear you, find somebody who you feel like you have good, a good relationship or good contact with and visit with them. Talk to your stake president, write a letter to them, write an email or letter to the Area 70. Um, it's going to be rare that all of them will be on the wrong, making wrong decisions. It won't be rare that one of us makes a mistake, but it's going to be rare that you've written to your bishop and your stake president and your Area 70 uh, or the Area Presidency. It's going to be rare that you're going to get through all of those levels and they're, and they're going to um, be mistaken. What will happen, though, as you work with, like if someone wrote me as a stake president, 
And I've had this happen, for example, someone will call me or email me or text me to the stake president. Oh, this happened with the bishop. This happened with the bishop. Uh -huh. Thank you for letting me know. Yes. And so what do I do? So I go and talk with the bishop and say, hey, bishop, let me, let me tell me what's going on. And the bishop will tell me a completely opposite story or a different story, or I can see there's been a miscommunication. I say, mm -hmm. okay, here's how this person feels. What do you think we should do? You think you should meet with them? You think I should meet with them? How do you want to address it? Um, and so that's a way that that can happen now. Now, to the person that's happened to 20 or 30 years ago, I would say, um, please give the Lord a chance to help you through his servants that he has now. Um, mm -hmm. Again, going back to, um, to race in the church, mm -hmm. um, there, there, there were some, some very uh, insensitive and har harmful things said, and a lot of people left the church. And I've read some of those things, and I thought, doggone it, I wish they didn't say that. <laughs> right. <laughs> they never would have said that. And, and, and so there will be some people, especially African-American, who will never give the church a chance because they say, no, those things happen. Um, but I wish they would. I wish they would give us a chance now um, and give the Lord a chance now. And my only way to persuade them to do that is to invite them to connect with God, to say, I, you know, I'm not going to persuade you that, that your bishop was right. I'm not saying whether your bishop was right or wrong. Could have been wrong, could have been right. And, and any of us could be wrong at any time. We could see it uh, the wrong way. But what I will persuade you to do is to pray, to pray to God and ask him whether you should Give this a shot. You're in a new ward. You're in a new state. You're in a new area. Or you're just in a new era where um, we're doing better than we were 20 or 30 years ago. And I'll make this general statement, um, not on behalf of the church and not necessarily directed at the church, not directed at the church at all, but as a community in the United States of America. And I think throughout the world, we are 20 or 30 years behind mental health behind addressing mental health. We are so far behind addressing mental health. Mm -hmm. Now we're catching up. We're working super hard to address it. But when we have a stigma out there, similar to the stigma of divorce, right? When we have this stigma out there that it's so bad that we can't even talk about it and we hide from it, then we're going to miss the boat. And we're going to have people hiding, you know, same thing, sexual orientation and feelings and how you identify like, um, we are going to miss the boat if we make it punitive to talk about divorce, to talk about mental health, to talk about how you identify. If we make it a punishment to do that, then people aren't going to want to come, not now and not in the future. And that's as a world, not as a church, that's as a world. So what do we do? We're really making progress right now. We're really making changes. So to those people who, um, who had bad experiences decades ago, or even just a few years ago, uh, I invite you to give the Lord a chance and to give us a chance. Um, and I, and I pray that we'll do better this time. I know that the Lord will do better. I know he'll always do us better. Oh, thank you. That was so well said. It made me think of President Nelson. He said, the restoration is a continuous process. And that really stuck with me. That yeah. it is a stone, you know, without hands rolling, continuously rolling. And let's jump on it. <laughs> Let's give it That's a really chance. It. That's really it. And we, and we get to be a part of this miraculous thing. Here's, here's, some, here's a, something that I've taught in the past that is, that's uh, <laughs> at times been controversial for reasons I don't understand. I love what Elder Holland said. He taught that God has only had imperfect people to work with. And that must be terribly frustrating, but that's all he's ever had to work with because that's the plan of salvation. Yes. Guess what? Just because someone's called as a bishop or a stake president or an apostle or prophet doesn't mean the Lord takes away their agency. He doesn't. 
he doesn't take away their ability to choose, including to make mistakes. And so it continues to unfold. And the Lord will work with us with what skills we have to move forward his work. And um, for example, when I joined the church, President Hinckley was the president of the church, the prophet, right? And I thought, who could follow President Hinckley? This guy is an angel walking on earth, right? right? And then President Monson comes in and it's like, whoa, this guy, who would want to speak after President Monson? This guy's photographic um, memory and his just miraculous stories. Who's going to follow him? Oh, President right. Nelson. What in the world is going on with President Nelson? He's like on a different spiritual sphere, right? Mm-hmm. What, it's not like that happened all of a sudden either. If you go back and President Nelson has spoken in about, about 80 times in general conference, and you can listen to all those on the gospel library, um, he's been speaking about some of these things, the proper name of the church, gathering Zion, so many of things. He's been speaking about them for 40 years but the Lord will work with him in his time and he'll work with all of us in our time. You've had some experiences, right? You had this divorce. You've had a, now you have great marriage and relationships. The Lord's going to now do his work through you because of your experiences. I've had these experiences with race relations mm-hmm. and with coming to the church. Mm-hmm. And now I can speak to these things in ways that perhaps someone else who's perfectly faithful, who's, who's, who beautifully loves the Lord, but who has not had that experience can't do. And so, man, I know these are long-winded answers, right? The (laughs) Lord works with us according to our experiences, and he doesn't take away our agency to force his will on us. That's so right. It's hard sometimes to allow everyone to have their own agency, right? (laughs) Right. We want it a certain way. They can't have agency, just us. Right. But no, I, I want to end on that. I, I love that. And I really feel this renewed hope. And I hope everyone listening feels it too, that you know that there's the support there for you and that you can trust your own revelation, that you can continue to be involved, be with us, be in the church and do your best to realize <laughs> we all make mistakes. If that mistake was made upon you, that's hard. But with the Lord's help, you can overcome. You can. And so thank you so much, President Overton. I really enjoyed our chat today. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for being on. And uh, amen to everything you just said. Awesome. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed the podcast, please write a review, subscribe, share. And if you'd like to do some personal coaching with me, hop on over to my website, Coach Emily Sanchez dot com.